0: was his heart for God's people. Last week, we started by going through the letter of Colossians. We won't go through all of it in its entirety. We're just just focusing on the prayers of Paul right now. And the purpose for going through these prayers is not only just to learn how to pray, but to learn for what we ought to be asking for. I mean, everybody prays. All believers pray everywhere. But there's a difference between just praying and then asking specifically for what is going to benefit, not only yourself, but for the people of God. The congregation that Paul is writing to, he's never met. He doesn't know them. He only knows one member of the congregation, Epaphras. And Luke tells us in chapter in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, that... Paul's ministry was so effective in Ephesus, a hundred miles west, that all of the residents of Asia heard the gospel. Now that's amazing, because there's no cars, there is no postal service like we have today. There is no FedEx, there is no Internet, there's no social media. But Paul remains in Ephesus for three years and he preaches the gospel. And that ministry, one commentator says, is so effective that all the residents of Asia heard. Now, if you're thinking through, if you look at, if you zoom out just for a moment and you think about what Jesus said in Acts Acts chapter one, he said, remain in Jerusalem. The Lord will give you, the the Father will give you his spirit. He will give you power and you will be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, not only in Judea, not only in Sumeria, but to all the ends of the earth. So by the time we get to Colossae, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said, because that's a long ways away from Jerusalem. That's a long ways away from Jerusalem, all the way in Asia. And as we've gone from city to city, the goal is not that we would simply get a tour of these cities. It's nice to know the historical facts. It's nice to know the context. It's nice to know what these people are up against. But even deeper than that, the aim of these exhortations is that the Lord would teach us what to ask for, when to ask for them, and how to ask for them. And so most Christians, as they approach prayer, they think about prayer in a way like the gumball machines that we had growing up. You take the quarter of your prayer, you put it into the form of religion, and you turn the knob and you hope, crossing your fingers, that the red gumball of your answered prayer will come down. Or... Some people think that prayer is like sending a letter to God, where they get on their knees and they say, dear Lord. And so it begins as if you're making, uh, uh, writing a letter to your pen pal. And then you seal the, the, the you, you sign the letter by saying, in Jesus' name. And then you send it off with the postage stamp called, Amen. Mm. Now, that's fine. But the Lord is calling and challenges His people to go deeper than that. Because it's communion that He wants. It's the, 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 the way has been opened into the very presence of God through our Lord Jesus Christ so that we're not just standing outside of the garden of communion with the Lord, but we are entering into His presence so that we see Him. And Revelation 21 tells us that we shall see his, Him face to face. And this is what the Lord calls us to. And so one of the biggest challenges that we who have indwelling sin or remaining sin face is the temptation to reduce the Lord to just a mere means to our own ends. And instead of seeing him for who and all that he is, we are going to the Lord, trying to get the things out of him. And you know what that's like when someone wants to only call you for something that they need rather than asking, how are you doing? Maybe that'll come midway the sentence, or maybe that'll come at the end. By the way, how are you? How are your kids? Oh, thanks. Okay, see you later. And that's not the way it should be with the Lord's people. So if that's the negative, if that's framing it in the negative, what is the positive? The positive is that Paul has overlapping intentions for every congregation that he is involved in somehow. Remember, he is the the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what he said he is. This is what the Lord has called him to. He is not just going to the Jew first, but he's going to all of the people who are alienated and have been alienated from the life of God. And he's bringing them the good news that they are now invited to be enfolded into the family of God. What does a Jew have to do with the Greek? What does a Jewish person who has all the promises from Abraham all the way up to Jesus have to do with someone who has spent their entire life sacrificing to idols and knowing nothing about the promises of God? Well, in Ephesians, we see that now Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile, bringing them together in him. And what we see in Colossae is the Apostle to the Gentiles bringing the good news to people who don't deserve to hear the good news. Now, the effective ministry of the Apostle Paul sees its fruit in us today because we're all Gentiles for the most part. We're all in New York. We're all we're 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 here in New York. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not in Judea. We're not in Samaria, but we're to Paul at the ends of the earth. And so as Paul is writing this letter, he gets this from Epaphras, a faithful worker who is from the city of Colossae. As he gets word that God has established a congregation in the midst of Gentile territory in the ends of the earth, what does Paul immediately do? Well, here's the checklist. If verse 10 is Paul's desire for the congregation in Colossae, then the latter half of Verses 10 through 12 explain what that desire looks like. So first, it's that they would bear much fruit in every good work that they undertake. And I get that from verse 10, where he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Second, it is that they would increase, they would continue to increase in their knowledge of God. Again, verse 10. Thirdly, it's that they would be strengthened with all the might that comes from an omnipotent God. And fourthly, it is that the congregation who is characterized would be characterized by thankfulness. So we'll look at those in turn. We'll look at all four of those things. But before we begin, I just want to clarify a few things as we're heading into our text, because I do recognize that We're all in various places when it comes to our walk with the Lord. But look at verse 10. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 10. And look at what Paul says that the Christian life is. Paul says that the Christian life is to walk in a manner worthy, pleasing to the Lord. The Christian life is characterized by walking, and this is something that Paul would have known and understood. You go back to Psalm 1, where, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or who stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, or you go, you go back even further to Genesis chapter 17, where the Lord calls Abraham and he says, walk before me and be blameless. The idea of the life before God is that you are walking, you are constantly in motion, communing with God throughout the entirety of your life. Paul understood, understood this. And so wherever you are this morning, wherever you are with the Lord, the Lord is calling you to Himself, to walk with Him, to commune with Him. And sometimes that walking does look like you are running with the, the, the wind beneath your sails, or sometimes it looks like you're just crawling and barely making it to Sunday morning. But either way, the Christian life is characterized by believers who are in motion, walking with the Lord. But the second thing that I want to say this morning is, is this, that all Christians do pray. Now, I recognize that there are times where we have the deep, dark, hanging clouds over us, like today, of, of the, the, the afflictions of life, of the trials that we have in this life, and sometimes it's difficult for even, even just to say, Lord. But this is where we are helped by Romans chapter 8, where the Spirit draws us and, and, and intercedes with groanings that we cannot even utter. So sometimes we just say, Lord, help me. And in fact, that's what we saw this past weekend at the funeral service with some of Penny and Matone's uh, uh, writings. Lord, help me. Sometimes in my own, in, in my own studies, I, even as I'm preparing for some of these things, I don't know what to pray for. Sometimes Paul doesn't know what to pray for. But at least we cry out to the Lord and we say, Father, help me. The reality that we can actually say, Father, is a work of the Spirit. Amen. Because no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. And, the, and the, the Lord is the one who draws us to Himself. So there is no way apart from the Spirit, that you can come to Him. And so every Christian, every believer prays, and though sometimes it looks like the most amazing of prayers, and then other times it looks like just one word, this is the work of the Lord. And this is why we have chapter 4, verse 12, where Epaphras is agonizing for his people in Colossae. And then the, 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 the final thing is that we're getting ready to head into our text this morning that I want to say is this. I realize that it, there is a very, very real temptation to compare yourself to the Apostle Paul as you're going through this. You look at Paul and you say, man, this guy prays all day, all night. Does he have a life? <laughs> what are you doing, Paul? Do you even go out and get groceries? And the fact is, is that we're not necessarily called to be exact clones of Paul, but we are meant to look at men like Paul and imitate their faith. This is what the author to the Hebrews says. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. This is why biographies are so important, because you realize that real men in real time, in real space, in real space struggled through their Christian life. And you look at them, you only get a snapshot of their life. And you say, man, these guys are amazing. I wish I could be like a Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. But what you don't see is that his wife watched him as he huddled in the corner crying, wondering why he's so down, Mm -hmm. why he's dealing with thick clouds of depression. That's what you didn't see. That's what you didn't see going on behind the scenes. What you didn't see in some of these men who preached the most amazing sermons is that as they laid their head down before they went to sleep, they wondered, Lord, is my ministry effective at all? And so, stop comparing yourself to the Apostle Paul. i just say that right up front. Look to him. Imitate his faith. Look to the men that the Lord has given to us in his word. And ultimately, let that lead your eyes upward to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect. And then trust in his righteousness. And so we come to verse 10. Last week, we were looking at Paul's purpose. We were looking at his prayer first, and then we were looking at the purpose of this prayer. But today, we're going to wrap that up by just focusing and zeroing in on those four things. The fruitfulness of work, the increasing in the knowledge of God, the being strengthened with all power, and the giving thanks to the Father. But first... Let's look at verse 10. He says his purpose. He gives us his purpose. What are you doing, Paul? What do you, what do you want us to understand? And ultimately, it's that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Why would he want that? Because he's all the way 100 miles plus west, and now he has a faithful worker in Colossae working there to labor to make sure that the entire congregation would grow up in maturity. And what he wants is them to grow. He wants the name of Christ to be glorified. But what does it mean to bear fruit in every good work? Well, I think first we need to understand that every single person in this world is engaged in work. Whatever it is you do, it takes work to be lazy. (laughs) It does. It takes work to go out and make money to provide for your families. It takes Work, Whatever it is, the Lord has designed us to work. And this has not failed since creation. Either we are working for the Lord or we are not. And what the Lord does in His people is He puts in His people a new heart. This is the promise of the old covenant. That God would come and that He would put in us a new heart. And the new heart facilitates a rebranding of all of our works so that they are now considered and constituted good by the Lord because the aim of our hearts and our lives are fixed on pleasing our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. This is way different from the world. This is why the warning that the Lord gives in the Sermon on the Mount on the last day is this. They say, Lord, we've cast out demons in your name. We've preached. We've done all of these things. Here's the load of works that I can give to you. I can show you. Here's the evidence. And the Lord says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Everyone works. And what Paul is hearing when he hears that there's a congregation being established and established in Colossae, is that there are people who have hearts that are regenerated people who are now dispositionally facing the Lord Jesus Christ and now he wants them to take up their their all of their energies and put it to the glory of Christ mm. and he says this in, in Colossians chapter three verse twelve he gives us actually a list thank God for this in our Bibles because we'd be left wondering okay Paul, what are these? some of these works? Well, he tells us, put on then in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so on he goes. But the idea is, if you wanted to get a picture of what life was like apart from Christ, just look at the negatives of all of these. You weren't God's chosen ones. You weren't holy. You weren't beloved. You didn't have compassionate hearts. No matter what people told you about how nice this person was across the street. You weren't kind. You weren't humble. You were always trying to put yourself first or seeking yourself first. You were always not really bearing with one another. You had some complaints against other people and you did not forgive because you didn't really have the idea of Christ's forgiveness in your thinking. And so I'm glad that Paul, and by the Spirit, this is here. I'm glad that this is here so that we can see what good works look like. Notice that these are good works that are being done now. You go back to verse 10. He says, bearing fruit, not so that in the future you will bear fruit. Or in the past, you look back to some fruit that you bore. It's you're living in the moment right now. Right now, bearing fruit. And that calls us to some responsibility, right? It calls us to not take a back seat when it comes to life in the congregation. But it calls us to roll up our sleeves and say, okay, how can I help bring life to this congregation? How can I edify one another? How can I think of the interests of others? The foundational reason for why we do what we do is because the Spirit has transformed our hearts so that now our aim is not to please ourselves but to please the Lord and we get evidences and glimpses of this when people take photos of us we get glimpses of our own hearts and our own selfish hearts when people take group photos and the first person that we're looking for is ourselves, right? that's that's how we know that we're sinners because we're looking for how we looked first before we look at everyone else I once knew a, a, a young man who was hired to work at a retail store. I've been in retail for 20, over 20 years. And I knew one who was hired to work at a retail store. He knew nothing about the, the products that they sold. But in six months, he was promoted from part-time to full-time. And this man did some, some work. And in the interview process, he was asked, how is it that you went from zero to 100 in six months? And he said, because of all of my coworkers who said... If you need any help, ask. And he did. He took full advantage, unashamedly, of all of those times. And he said, hey, can you help me? Can Sorry to be a bother. Can, can you help me? No, you're not a bother at all. Can you help me? Can, I, need, I have a question on this. I have a question on this. And so there was a consistent asking of questions and asking for help. And the Christian life is just like that. It's not that you have everything. You know, it's interesting, too, that when you look at the life of John Calvin in Geneva, if you're reading through Martin Busser's uh, uh, The True Care of Souls, it's, one, it's a book on pastoral ministry, John Calvin wasn't the only one in Geneva. He had several other ministers, and what Martin Buster, another pastor, says is that the Lord gives gifts to one, one elder, and He gives gifts to another elder, and He gives gifts to another elder so that no one has the, the, the full run of all of the gifts, but everyone is working with each other so that they're like a body working together as a single unit. And this is the same way in the military, Right? In the military, not everyone is a sniper. Not everyone is a munitions man. Not everyone is a medic. Because if everyone is a medic, who's doing the fighting? Mm -hmm. And so the Christian life is like that. The works that bear fruit are those which aim at the glory of Christ, that aim at the building up of our brothers and sisters, the asking for help, and the looking to our Lord Jesus Christ so that they are fruitful. These are the kinds of works that are going to be spoken of in eternity. Mm even the smallest of things will be spoken of in eternity. So that in eternity, when we're in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can say, by faith, he took out the trash. And we needed it that day. By faith, he cleaned up the parking lot. And we needed it that day. Why? So that more people can come. By faith, he or she changed the diapers. By faith, they went, on, went for groceries and took a meal to someone. By faith, they did all of these things. These are fruitful works. But the fruitful works assume that we are growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And this is what he says in verse 10, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is, like I said last week, this is not a select group of people in the congregation who are in the know. This is for all people. Every single believer... It is true that whatever we love, we will grow in the knowledge of that thing. So if you love sports, you will grow in the knowledge of all of your favorite sports heroes. If you love cosmetics, you'll grow in all of the ways that you can apply cosmetics to someone's face. Or if you love biology, you will find all the ways that biology can be applied to everyday life. This is just how we are because we were created to worship. Christ is the reservoir of all knowledge, the treasury of all knowledge and wisdom. And Paul's desire is that as they are growing in the knowledge, as they are working, as they are involved in body life, which is another way of saying getting involved in the life of the congregation, they are also growing in their knowledge of the Lord. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Why? So that when you get together and you have Haven Food and Fellowship, you can start spitting out facts. Did mm. you know? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? And you start playing Bible trivia? No. Mm-mm. This is not Bible trivia. This is, this is what the Lord has done in my life. Amen. This is how the scriptures have ministered to my soul this past week. This is what the Lord is all about. And this is why the psalmist over and over and over again says, let us declare the works of God to a generation yet to be born. So that whether we're speaking to our children or we're speaking to our parents or whoever we're speaking to, we are declaring the works of God. What has God done in your life that you have stood back and held your hand over your mouth and said, wow, that is the work of the Lord. Well, you woke up this morning. Your heart is still beating. Mm. And every time that your heart beats, it's another moment of God's grace. Paul says that they would be growing, increasing in the knowledge of God. And the idea of this is that it is a dynamic growth. It's not just a static growth. Static growth would be you go to the library, you get all the books, and you fill your head with those books, and then it's done. But a dynamic growing is the unveiling of your heart's desires to another person. And so this is why we have in our Bibles that the secret things belong to the Lord. Let the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that he has revealed to you, to us, belong to us and to our children. God is not a God made of wood and idols and and all of these things. But he is meant to be known. You know, one of the things that I think about all the time is that we live in a country where all of the resources, reformed resources, biblical resources are readily available at our fingertips and we can download them and fill our phones and fill our technology with all of the resources that have been publicly made available to all of us that the Colossians didn't have at the time. And you know what the question that the Lord is going to ask us in that day is? What did you do with it? What did you do with it? With the knowledge that you gained about me, what did you do with it? What happens if the Colossians, or let's bring it home a little bit, if the Haven Church grew in knowledge about God and continued to grow in knowledge about God so that we're industrious, we're bearing fruit, we're showing that we are a reformed, a solid church in the city of Comac, and that's all we ever did. Well, the Lord will come to us and say, like he did to the Ephesians, where they had the eyes of their hearts open, and he say, you lost your first love. Don't lose your first love. Don't lose your first love. Use the knowledge that you have to praise and worship the Lord. Pastor said this past weekend that at the funeral service that the Christian life is everything but bliss. It's the greatest life that you will ever live, but it's not the life that is free from any pains and worries and anxieties. You will go through things, and this is what we see in Christ's prayer for his people in John chapter 17. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would, they would be kept from the evil one. You are in the world. You are dealing with real things. There are people that are being burnt at the stake. There are people that are being crucified upside down for for Christ's name. There are people who are being whipped 300 and plus times for Jesus' name. And the Lord doesn't promise that he's going to deliver them out of those situations, but that he is going to give them the strength to get through those situations with joy. And this is the third thing that he gets to here in verse 11, being strengthened with all power. So if they're bearing fruit and if they are also growing in the knowledge of God, they are also being strengthened with all power, all of God's power, the power that raised Christ from the dead. They are being strengthened to go through those trials and through those afflictions with joy. How do you go through those difficulties with joy? How do you get burned at the stake and you sing hymns with joy? Knowing that the flames are rising higher and higher. How do you do that with joy? There's only one answer to that. It's by the Spirit. It's by the work of the Spirit. You know, this this past year, we went through, uh, and I I asked Jasmine for permission before I went ahead and and said this. But this past year, we found out that she was pregnant. That we were going to have a third child, right? And that was a surprise. We're having a third child. Some people don't understand how hard it is to have children. Some people just have children so easily. But for us, it was a surprise. And then we got word that there was no heartbeat. So it went from exhilarating all the way down to just the horizon line of this world. And so I asked her, Wednesday night rolls around, we're at our old church, and Wednesday nights they have, like what we have, uh, food and fellowship time, but they have it before the prayer time. So everyone comes together for a meal. Sit down. There's hundreds of people. And uh, I always joke with the, the lady who was making the, the meal. I said, sorry if we had more people to this list. But <laughs> uh, well, your food is good. And, uh, and so I asked Jasmine, I said, do you really want to, you want to go to church tonight to, to prayer? And she said, yeah. She said, I would rather grieve with God's people than be alone in this. Wow. And she was right in saying that. The question is how? How do you do that? How in the world can you do that? The natural response is to withdraw. Leave me alone. I need to process this. I need to think through all of these things. That's the natural man. And there's nothing wrong with withdrawing. There's nothing wrong with processing things. But the Spirit works in us so that we are encouraged by other believers. So that when other believers see us face to face they say, "You know I've never told anybody that but I've been through that too Amen. and when she was there Wednesday night, so many people came up to her and said, "I never told anybody but I went through that yeah. this past year yes yeah. and she was encouraged this yeah. is the work of the Spirit mm-hmm. Amen. the Lord strengthening her with all power according to his glorious might for what for all endurance." steadfastness and patience with joy. Can you hear the fruit of the Spirit here? Mm-hmm. This is, these are the same words. This is the fruit of the Spirit right here. And this is what Paul is praying for. Mm-hmm. The last thing in these verses, before he gets into the, the, the whole background of what Christ has done for his people, is the giving of thanks. In Romans chapter 1, Those people who did not see fit to have God in their thinking, in their knowledge, are characterized by their thankless hearts. You want to know what characterizes a non-believer? They're not thankful. And it's not that they're not thankful to you, but they're not thankful to the Lord who made them and who gave them the means to get what they have. Giving thanks to the Father is what he says. Why? Because it was the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Not you, not your works, not your strength, not your looks, but the Father, sovereign in all of his decision-making. He demonstrates his right to freely choose those whom he loves and wants to be in his presence. And the appropriate response, again... Hold your hand over your mouth and say, thank you, Lord. The question on the streets when you're sharing the gospel with someone else is not who's elect, but it's, I can't believe that I'm I've chosen by the Lord. And I'm here to bring the joy, the good news of what Christ has done to me, to you. This is what Paul is praying for. Paul, we ask, what are you praying for? that the Colossians and that my brothers and sisters at the Haven and at Colossae and at all the other congregations that the Lord has used my letters to write would be fruitful in every good work, that they would grow in the knowledge of our great God, that they would be strengthened with all the might for all endurance and patience with joy, not grumbling, not complaining, but joyful. And while all of this is taking place, that they are thankful people. If you were to ask Paul, what are you praying for? This is what he would say. Is that only reserved for the Colossians? No. Is it reserved for the Thessalonians? No. Is it reserved for the Ephesians? No. It's for all of God's people. Including us. And these are not one, then two, then three, then four. But if you look at all of these things, if you take a pen or a pencil and you want to circle this, they're all happening right now in the moment. They're happening right now. They're happening together. That you are bearing fruit while you're increasing, while you're being strengthened, while you're giving thanks. All of these are happening together. And this is God's work. So, friends, this morning, I want this to be the aim and the direction of our prayers. If you ask me what my preference is, what my desire is uh, in, in the giving of these exhortations, it's that we would pray like this. It's good to pray for the needs of other people, specifically. If you're going through hard times, yes. But underneath all of those things, we also need to be praying that you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And that you're not going back to the old ways. That you're not caving to sinful self-indulgences. And the most common in our culture today is you're going to binge watch or you're going to forget yourself and lose yourself in the alcohol or in the social media or in the news or something that gets you off of the mind or gets you off of what you're thinking right now but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And as we join our arms together and pray for individual needs, whether it's surgeries, whether it's cancer or finances or the dark clouds of difficult times, let's pray that the Lord would make us fruitful. Let's pray that the Lord would continue to help us to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Let's pray that the Lord would strengthen us so that we go through all of our hard times and all of the good times with joy. And let's pray that we would be thankful people. Yes. And so with that, we thank God for what, Paul, what God has done through Paul. But even more so, I thank the Lord for what he's doing through you. Mm. And so we pray that the Lord would continue to grow the haven. Let's be that kind of church. Mm. Mm. Amen. Let's pray. Amen.